It's been six years of podcasting, and without our sponsors, we wouldn't be able to bring these podcasts to you. So I want to thank today's sponsors. And first off, we have the Pretentious Pickle Company of 190 Water Street in Plymouth. Uh, If you haven't had a chance to get down there, uh, go down and check out what they make. They have everything pickled you can imagine from uh, pickled beets to carrots to mushrooms to onions to Brussels sprouts and cauliflower. They even have pickled um, uh, or pickled flavor cotton candy, I should say. They make it fresh there every day, and you can go in there and check out what they have to offer. And if you're not in the Plymouth area, you can go to pretentiouspickle.com and check out what they have to offer there as well, and they will ship it out to you. Their stuff is delicious. You should check it out. And uh, they are big fans of ours, and we are big fans of theirs. So thank you to the Pretentious Pickle Company for sponsoring today's episode. And our second sponsor today is Moonrise Cinemas. Moonrise Cinemas is a new drive-in in Plymouth. Uh, right on the Plymouth-Kingston line. They're located at 428 Court Street in Plymouth, Mass. And they offer a great selection of movies. You can go. It's very family-friendly. I went and checked out The Goonies there. They've had Marvel movies, a wide variety of stuff. And they're really starting to expand. They have had uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. This coming year, they're doing music on thursday nights on wednesdays are going to be 420 friendly events so make sure you check out what they have to offer uh, moonrisecinemas.com it's a great venue they have a beer garden they have uh their own food their food's phenomenal and they're bringing back their french toast which i'm very excited about uh, so make sure you check out what they have to offer, moonrisecinemas.com. And if you use in code INEBRIART when purchasing tickets, you'll get 10% off. So make sure you go to moonrisecinemas.com to get your tickets for movies, concerts, and more. And use code INEBRIART for 10% off on your purchase. And now let's jump right into the podcast. Welcome back, Inebriates. This is Andy of the Inebriate Podcast, as always. And uh, not too long ago, we had a comic book artist by the name of Kit Buss on, uh, best known for her critical role work. And um, she mentioned a super top secret Kickstarter that she was working on that she wasn't allowed to talk about. And I did a little detective work. And by that, I mean the comic creator messaged me on Twitter. <laughs> and um, so I'm joined today by that comic creator, uh, Brent Lengel? Yeah, Brenton Lengel, but Brent to my Brenton, friend. Sorry, so, sorry. Yeah, Brenton. so you can call me Brent. That's all right. Um, <laughs> welcome to the show, man. Yeah, thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, and, I love the First episode. off, thanks for listening. Um, it's oh. always nice when we have a listener. But um, so you're, this is obviously not your first thing. It, so what you're doing is you have uh, Snow White Zombie Apocalypse, a trade paperback um for people who don't know what that is it's like a a compilation of individual comics yeah it's it's basically like a graphic novel but it's it didn't start as a graphic novel it's you i'm taking four issues of snow white zombie apocalypse and smashing them together and selling it as a trade with some special art and some really cool uh additional uh stuff so this is not your first venture into the comic book world but just for you know, shits and giggles, like what is the the general uh, elevator pitch for Snow White Zombie? Snow White Zombie Apocalypse? I can't say it without <laughs> thinking of White Zombie. That's my problem. I keep getting hung no, up on the title. That is intentional. Okay. Um, all right. Thank yeah. you. All and right. I'll go into the ba- I'll go into the background of that. But just as the elevator pitch, Snow White awakens to Prince Charming's kiss 28 days after the zombie apocalypse. The seven dwarves are dead. Her prince is polyamorous, and she is dwarfed in power and experience by Rapunzel, uh, who is best described as a kung fu warrior queen goddess. Uh, And uh, these uh, three heroes must uh, navigate um, both their own mounting jealousy and suspicion, 
in order to come together and to fight a losing battle against death itself as Grimm's fairy tales characters rise from their graves to devour the flesh of the living. Somehow that's still not as like dark as actual grim fairy tales. Yep. Oh, that's one of the most fun things about it is, is like um, grim. So I do the, they're on top of the Swaza series. We also have a series called reign of the blood covered King, which is kind of a prequel um, that sort of intersects for our listeners is the snow white zombie apocalypse. Yeah. That's the cool kids call it Swaza. Okay. Um, But yeah. Um, so we have Reign of the Blood Covered King, for instance. And that first issue, um, I uh, was looking up like fairy tales because I always like to jump into Grimm's or other like folklore mm-hmm. before I start working. And um, I found this uh, this fairy tale called the Juniper Tree, and it involves like cannibalism and a and reincarnation as a bird, and then talking about like the crime of cannibalism. And I'm just like, okay, so I like opened issue one with like. Uh, a farmer singing the the juniper tree song it's like one of the oh, only nice. actual songs in fairy tales <laughs> yeah yeah it's weird like people don't really think about it but there's it some dark shit um i think it was the e- evil stepsisters like cut their toes off to try to like fit into the glass slippers or something like that am i mm-hmm. remembering that right i think i think you are remembering that right there's a lot of different versions but yeah, yeah a lot of the stuff is is very very dark um which is just makes it fun to work with um and really you know it, it makes it a natural thing to use for a zombie apocalypse world you know you've got fairy tales like Bluebeard, which you know is half fairy tale half a uh, campfire story which i may do something with soon um, and then, like later in the series, we're actually going into place where I'm pulling from the saga of, of Hrolf Kraki, uh, which is semi fairy tale slash historical. Like, I was say, I've never even heard of that. Oh, it's like an Icelandic Nord- yeah. Nordic. Okay, all right. That's yeah, yeah. It's just really cool. I love where we're going with it, um, and I can get into that a little bit later. But yeah, so the reason it was original. Okay. So I started out as a playwright uh, okay. in New York, and I kind of beat my head against the wall there, working as a small-time playwright uh, for about 10 years. Uh, the first play I ever got produced was actually Snow White Zombie, and mm-hmm. it was written for a, uh, a company called uh, uh, the New York Theater Experiment. They had a 24-hour play competition, so they would send out a prompt, and the writers had only a few hours to write a 10-minute play, yep. and then it had to be found selected passed out to actors and directors and put on like actually performed Mm -hmm. within 24 hours um and uh you know lightning just struck the right spot and i uh kind of had i had had two ideas that i wanted to go with and it was either going to be fairy tales and zombies or it was going to be shakespeare and zombies and i was like you know, I can't write it. I am pentameter. So <laughs> I'll just go with fairy tales. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, uh, people, the audience absolutely loved it. It got picked up by, uh, the Estro Genius Festival shortly thereafter. And we got a full, like proper production, uh, one audience's choice award got extended. Um, and then uh, a little while later, we wound up performing like a full length version in the fringe, uh, f- the New York International oh, sure. Fringe Festival yeah. in 2012. Yeah. So like, um, the original title was Snow White Zombie because it was playing off of Snow White Zombie. But then when I expanded it into a two-hour play, it became Snow White Zombie colon Apocalypse. And then when it became a comic, I just got rid of the colon. <laughs> so you don't... You see a lot of comics go from comics to movies now, even ones that people don't know about, like Road to Perdition and Cowboys mm-hmm. versus Aliens. History of Violence. Movies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You don't often hear plays going to comics. Like, how did you make that jump? Were you a comic fan and just felt like you could do more in a comic book? I mean, it's sort of just like the weird type of person I am, um, because I started out initially wanting to be a cartoonist. um, And uh, I think I decided, like, in high school that uh, this was probably um i did like i didn't have the discipline to really get my art skills where i wanted them to be i could have maybe done newspaper comics but by that time it was you know there there's no future for newspaper cartoonists so right. i was just like okay i'll do something more practical and and uh study theater <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so i know the nef- definition of practical i got it okay. yeah exactly yeah. So I, um, I got a degree in theater, started out with a concentration on acting, um, but 
I, I wasn't always really happy in my actor roles. Like I worked as a professional actor after college for two years, mm-hmm. um, but it was always part of somebody else's vision. And it was a vision that I didn't almost never resonated with. Like, you know, the stuff that I've always been into my whole life are like comics, like, you know, uh, Calvin and Hobbes and Elf Quest, um, and also like, um, you know, fantasy novels. I'm a huge uh, fan of like Lord of the Rings, obviously. Um, and uh, the, I read the Shannara series, uh, you know. Um, so it, I've always kind of been steeped in uh, kind of fantasy worlds. Uh, and also I've, you know, sort of had a brain that worked well with comics uh, mm-hmm. since I had spent so much time. I actually did my own webcomic for a year um, called uh, The Life Quixotic. And it was one of those like diary web comics. And I put it out on a site that I started with a label called anti-pants comics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was up there with uh, this guy, Eric Moore, um, who did a really great series called uh, the tally bones, um, like in his college newspaper and also did one called Utopia, uh, which was very, very funny, um, you know, comic kind of making fun of early reality shows. It's like, let's give a bunch of high schoolers a country. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. And interestingly enough, I'm still working with him. He did uh, one of the covers for Swaza volume one, but you know, I uh, realized sort of that um, I wasn't really happy as an actor. I didn't uh, always agree with what my directors wanted to do and I wasn't being able to be creatively fulfilled. So um, I ran into a bit of tragedy, uh, friend of mine died in his sleep at the age of 25, like went to bed one night, didn't wake up the next morning. Uh, And as a result of that, I kind of, my life went into a tailspin. I sort of dealt with it by hiking the Appalachian Trail, Maine to Georgia. So Mm -hmm. I lived in the woods for six months and carried everything on my back. And then, you know, as as soon as I got out of the woods, I was like, you know, okay, so this acting thing, it's fun, but my real talent is writing. And so when I went to New York, I just immediately went 100% playwright. Um, and it's, it really paid off. I became the playwright in residence for a company called uh, State of Play Productions, Inc. Um, in fact, Snow, uh, Prince Charming, because they produced uh, one, of the, uh, one of the two earliest productions of uh, Snow White Zombie. Uh, Prince Charming the, is actually like if you look at the actor, Adam LaFacci, mm-hmm. and you look at um, the the. Prince Charming, as he's drawn in the comics, it, it's him. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and he's been a huge champion of the series since like the very beginning. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I started writing in uh, New York. I got some uh, decent success pretty early. Um, I wrote a play called North to Maine, uh, which is the first play ever about the Appalachian Trail, uh, written by me, a two thousand miler, um, and that got. Uh, produced twice in Manhattan and actually um, was supported by the, uh, uh, by the Appalachian Trail Conservancy, which is the nonprofit that oversees that. I got mm-hmm. a bunch of corporate sponsors on it, like EMS and REI. Oh, um, sure, yeah. Yeah, well, we needed a lot of equipment for right, the stage. Yeah. Um, so I did that. Uh, I did Snow White Zombie Apocalypse. Uh, I did a play called Mike about the New York City underground open mic scene, uh, mm-hmm. very much like a little like Rent, but yeah, um, yeah d- but not a musical. Um, and uh, as you know, my career continued to grow. I sort of very I realized that oh, there is no money at all in theater. <laughs> so I, I shifted my focus uh, to uh, screenwriting. Mm-hmm. Um, started working uh, at a place called Jacob Kruger Studios, uh, which is phenomenal. Uh, Jacob's a, a an Emmy Award winner, and um, he had me working with like I learned comedy from uh, a guy I used to work on Married with Children. I learned action nice. from uh, yeah, <laughs> I learned action from a guy named George Strayton, uh, who was one of the original writers for Xena and Hercules. Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned uh, drama from a former HBO exec, uh, Stephen Moulton. Um, so. Uh, while I was there, uh, I essentially took a lot of my plays and adapted them into screenplays. And I also wrote an original screenplay, which is uh, Deru- which is Deruti Shadow of the People. Um, and so, like, I had all of this writing, but, you know, uh, where things were going with theater, it was you would expend all of this money and time and effort and mm-hmm. you would get this play on it and then it'd play for like two weeks. And if nobody saw it, like, you know, you, you would get people in, you'd get good reviews, but by the end of it, all you had left were like pictures and reviews and, a, you know, a handful of people who would come out to see theater regularly. Um, 
So it's looking for a, a new way to work. And um, I happened to bump into a guy uh, who was involved in the comics world. And I was like, oh man, you know, I, I had it in the back of my head that I wanted Snow White Zombie to be a comic book. Yep. Um, I thought that it would adapt to that, you know, form, format very well. And um, he kind of introduced me to some artists and I found my great first artist, Hyando Park. Um, and then uh, he, he and I produced the very first uh, Snow White Zombie Apocalypse uh, issue one, which was mm -hmm. a, like a 44 page double issue. And we wound up, uh, I went to New York Comic Con and pitched everybody and found a company called Scout Comics. Um, and Brendan Deneen, the guy who runs, it's a great guy. Uh, he took one look at like the art and the cover and was just like, I want it. Um, so yeah, they were really excited about it. We signed with them. Um, they got Snow White Zombie Apocalypse number one into stores nationwide. Um, and then I kind of got to a point where, you know, it was really great that the comic was out and I was making a little bit of money off of it, but COVID had just hit and stuff, you know, was COVID was, derailed everybody. Yeah. Yep. Well, in my case, it actually kind of, uh, hypercharged me because, I started uh, my own label, Autonomous Collective, which is the same as my theater label. Um, and we started raising money on Kickstarter to finance the production of future books. And I found another artist, uh, Luana Vecchio, and we did issues two to four. Um, and then I'm changing artists again. The, the idea, like, I, I assume you've read um, Sandman. Yeah. Yeah. So like in Sandman, you know, the art continuously changes mm -hmm. he's switching artists and you know that works for dreams because like dreams are um uh they're weird and they, yeah. they change and similarly like fairy tales are weird like dreams you hear multiple retellings uh there's multiple versions so i always felt that it was a great idea to sort of switch artists with every major like story section so mm -hmm. the the first uh comic is it actually makes me think of mm -hmm. um it was a documentary about Graham Chapman from uh, Monty, uh, Python. Monty Python. And <laughs> it, the whole thing was animated, but like each section of his life was by a different animator. It was really mm -hmm. like just a phenomenal. Yeah. I, well, I think it's really cool. I think mashups just in general are a great way to work. Um, and Monty Python is actually a huge influence on me. There are numerous Python references uh, throughout the book. And in fact, Autonomous Collective is a direct reference to the political peasant with Dennis. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in, but, yeah. In fact, in fact, in issue one of Reign of the Blood Covered King, um, hang on for just a second. Are you hearing my son is... I hear some background. Books. Yeah, I, I can't, it's it's fine. I can't. Okay. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure everybody knows I'm not. Murdering. It's COVID. Everyone <laughs> everyone's used to it. Dogs and phones and whatever. It's, it's, um, yeah, terrific. Yeah, my yeah. my wife is up there with him, so I'm not just leaving him to cry. Nice. <laughs> um, uh, three, you said? Yeah, he's three years old. Oh, nice. Mine mine are just turning eighteen and twenty. Oh wow. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a weird that's, experience. Yeah. Yeah, that's you're on the other end of the spectrum there. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. So like, uh, yeah, I mean, if you look at even there's a Python reference, I think in issue, um, in, in issue three and another Python reference in, uh, at the very beginning of reign of the blood covered King, uh, like the peasant is, is named Dennis Dennis, and, nice, you know, yeah. yeah and the, the King is up there and he's like, he's going over the story of everything that happened. And the peasant's like Dennis and the King's like, I didn't know you were called Dennis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. So yeah, it's, it's, it's really fun. I, I can have a lot of fun with this series because um, you know, it, in one way it's like the sort of fun, dark, high fantasy concept that I really, really love, but also mm -hmm. like the premise of zombies and fairy, it, it's inherently ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so I can also have a lot of fun with it. And I'm like a big, big fan of like those little six person jokes uh, that really reward a reader for being uh, well-read uh, you know, the Simpsons does it really yep. well where there's the, there's, there's kind of inside left. jokes that that mm -hmm. it, it, i mean people now call them easter eggs but yeah that kind mm -hmm. of thing yeah I, exactly. I, i'm really curious about your trip on the appalachian trail because you actually made me think of an experience in my life oh um where and i love how you walked the appalachian trail for months and i'm talking about a one mile walk because hey no, I'm, a yeah, fat, I'm a fat hiker. nerd so <laughs> hike your own hike and we've all put on a bit of weight with covid <laughs> yeah um but i was working like a, a crappy retail gig 
and I was middle management and they were really pushing me to take like an assistant manager role. And it was like, it was, you know, not like millions of dollars, but it would have changed my life quite significantly with the, with the, with the boost in income. And for weeks I was miserable. Mm -hmm. I was miserable. I was unhappy as cranky. And uh, I had had car trouble that day and I had to walk from work to home, which was about a mile. And I threw on some headphones and I put some music on and through that walk, like I went through this realization that the money didn't matter to me, mm -hmm. that I didn't want to do that job, that if I did that job, an art would probably cease to be. And it felt like such like by the time I got home, my mood had changed so much and like was a, like a, a weight lifted off of me. Because I'm mm -hmm. like, I don't want to, like, it, it was that kind of social, like, you need to do this, you need to do this. And then I'm like, no, I don't. Like, let me, <laughs> let me do my thing my way. I mean, was this, am I like, am no, I summing up your Appalachian Trail trip in a one mile walk? Yeah, you, you in a way you really are. Um, I've actually, there's, so... In college, I, I guarantee you this connects with what you just said, but yeah, sure. in college, um, Mo Rocca of The Daily Show. Oh, came of course. Yeah. Yeah. And he was doing a he was pushing a book that he'd just written about, like the president's pets. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I was in the audience and they were polling like the audience for who wants to ask questions. And so I kind of stood up and I said, like, how do I get on The Daily Show? And he kind of pushed that. He was just like, I don't I don't know, become John Stewart's bitch or something. Yeah. So, after that, I went up to get my copy of the book signed. I'm like, hey, I'm the guy that asked you that stupid question about how I got on The Daily Show. And he, he kind of looked at me for a second. He goes, you know, the reason I got this job on The Daily Show was that I just got it into my head that I was going to go around the entire country and just take pictures of myself at the um, uh, graves of uh, obscure and unremembered U.S. presidents. Mm -hmm. uh, and I can't get into it right now, but it, that directly led to the daily show. So I guess my advice to you is if you've got something crazy, you want to do, go do it. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. And I, I've kind of lived my life uh, by that motto. Um, and it is really, I, 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 with your, you know, one mile walk, there's a level of Zen that comes on when you're doing that, when you're actually going somewhere mm -hmm. and it can really put your life into stark relief. So, yeah, I think there, that absolutely connects with like everything that, you know, through hikers do. Um, so yeah, um, I, I, I feel you. <laughs> Was there like, do you remember the spot on the Appalachian trail where you're, where it kind of came into that focus? Was it like a specific, a significant so, yeah. spot or was it just kind of like at the end you looking back you know i think the most significant experience i had on the appalachian trail i had a lot um i hiked through a tornado unknowing um Jesus. you know i was running across the top of like the white mountains during a thunderstorm mm -hmm. um ran into bear and moose and all that kind of stuff but i think like the the most it wouldn't it wasn't where you would expect it i was, I was hiking through virginia don't remember yeah. exactly where I think this was Southern Virginia. And I just found myself walking through a field with the sun coming up and I looked to my right and suddenly I was like, I'm not sad anymore. Like oh, a huge weight had been lifted off me that I'd been depressed for so long. I didn't even realize I was depressed. It was just there. Mm -hmm. And, and the clouds like parted and it blew away. And suddenly like my entire life changed it, like in that moment uh, yeah. for, for, yeah. So um, yeah, I think that there, there were a number of kind of epiphanies like that. Um, I think the trail is just a great place for anybody who's looking to figure out their life, uh, you know, to go. And, you know, on top of that, you get some great views and meet some amazing people. It's, it's great. Like, I love those moments in life where you kind of things seem like hyper focused and it usually comes off of the tail end of something tragic. You know, mm -hmm. where, you know, bad breakup, loss of a loved one, whatever. And it, it, you know, I remember my father passed 17 years ago, give or take a few months. And it was right around this time of the year where at that point after he passed, I realized I'm like, what am I waiting for? Like, I have things I want to do. I need to do them. And I opened up a comic book shop awesome <laughs> ran for a few years i got divorced and went away mm -hmm. but yeah. you know it, it's those kind of moments where you where you're kind of like you know you only you're only here once mm -hmm. 
and why live with regrets? Like why, you know, just so like, I, I think it's yeah. that stuff fascinates me. You know, it's, it's very interesting. So one of my favorite philosophers is Alan Watts. Um, I don't know if you've uh, encountered his philosophy before. It's no. look it up on YouTube. Great to fall asleep to, by the way, okay. uh, brilliant, like uh, British guy. Um, and he kind of make, he made a career out of uh, essentially he was a minister uh, in the church of England, uh, the Anglicans, I think. And then he went to Asia and like studied with the Zen Buddhists. And he sort of came back and made a career from like the fifties to the late sixties um, explaining Buddhism and Taoism and stuff in terms that Americans could understand that, that if you didn't have this cultural background, you could understand uh, these ancient practices. And one of the, one of my favorite things that he said was that um, if you spend your life thinking that the wanting money primarily, like instead of doing what you would really enjoy spending your time at, um, you will be completely wasting your time, which is you will be um, you you will be doing things you don't like doing. Yep. in order to go on doing things you don't like doing uh, and to teach your children to do the same thing. Um, so really like, you know, I think the phrase is it's all wretch and no vomit. You never actually get there. Yep. Um, and that's what leads to a lot of like midlife crises and stuff where people have realized like, oh, I was, I, I was going after this thing that uh, wasn't really me that I didn't really want to do. And so what? I got a bunch of money now and I got some property and I'm miserable. <laughs> yeah. For sure. And you see it all the time is, you know, sometimes, you you know, you run into people and they have, quote unquote, everything and, you know, they're drinking themselves to death or they commit suicide or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it, it's uh, oh, now I'm going to have to try to paraphrase myself because this was forever ago. But I interviewed a, a uh, band called, out of L.A. called Broken Baby. Mm -hmm. And um, I believe what I because we were talking about the people who were like, oh, someday I'll travel and someday I'll do this. And I'm like, someday it, it's what I, now I'm trying to remember. It was like someday never, never arrives or something along those lines. And, mm -hmm. you know, if you're. You know, you just need to rip the bandaid off and just do it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if you have. It, it's such a, a double edged sword. Mm hmm. Cause I see people all the time being like, Oh, I want to write this or I want to open a business or I start a restaurant or whatever. And you know, there's no time like the present you, you need to do mm -hmm. it now, but in the same aspect, not everyone should do it. Mm -hmm. Cause I see time and time again, where people are like, Oh, I want to do this. Oh, it's really hard. And I'm like, yeah, man, <laughs> like, yeah, it's super hard. Mm -hmm. um, how do you like, I, I, I don't, know your family background uh, mine were relatively supportive of me being a creative type um but how did you run into that like when you were studying theater where they're like you know you need a, a backup like a hate, hate yeah the backup back, the plan, plan b Ugh. um you know i sort of not as much as I could have. My parents, for the most part, have been uh, very supportive, uh, yep. but I did get some pushback. I remember um, I graduated with my theater degree and my dad was not behind me getting a theater degree. Yeah. Um, and uh, like um, I went from that to an audition. Uh, I actually jumped in my car uh, and drove all the way to St. Louis with a friend of mine. And I auditioned uh, at this big theater conference. Uh, and I was really scared because uh, I was somewhat of a persona non grata in my mm -hmm. theater department. Uh, I think it was just because I was a little different uh, yeah. than they were. Um, and, you know, also I probably was a little shit at the time, <laughs> um, but uh, I never grew out of that. I'm still a shit. So yeah. Oh, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like, you know, um, I, I had had a lot of difficulty getting cast in things. In fact, that's actually why I, it, it, oddly enough, it really helped me in my career later on because I learned how to do everything for myself because nobody gave me anything. Yeah. Um, and so like I went to this audition, um, I got like four job offers and this was the first time people were really responding to me as an actor. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, I came home and I was like at home talking to my dad and I was like, Hey, you know, I got this job offer and this job offer and this one pays this and this one pays this. And I'm really kind of wondering what I should do. And he just like looks across the table and is like, you should join the Navy. And <laughs> that just crushed me at the time. Like, especially since my dad had been in the Navy and yeah. he like, he hated it when he was in it. 
but then like in retrospect he loved it <laughs> yeah you know it's weird like that kind of nostalgia of torture you know yeah. that people have like oh it's fucking terrible blah blah, blah. you should do it and like no 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 <laughs> why would i want to do, that? I do yeah. that yeah if it tastes terrible don't offer me a taste like i don't it's not what i want mm-hmm. um so it's very do you are you cognizant of that sort of thing now that you have a three-year-old and granted your three-year-old's not like planning a career but you know me personally i've been very like i i think when i had my kids i spent a lot of time thinking about the things that upset me as a kid and Mm -hmm. tried not to do them as a parent like do you have you started thinking of those type of things and and what if your kid wants wants to join the navy you know, um, there. So it's very interesting with me because I am heavily anti-authoritarian. Um, it, it, if that's a you know, oh my a god, a creative because... person that doesn't like authority. <laughs> yeah, Shocker. I mean, I wrote I, I wrote an entire comic <laughs> series about like yeah. a Spanish anarchist. So yeah, <laughs> um, but like, so I'm more excited to see my son like develop in his own way. Um, I, I kind of can't wait for him to sort of rebel against me. <laughs> I think and, there but, was. So this is the interesting thing is like, if they're going to rebel against you, he could very much be like, no law and order. And, mm-hmm. you know, Trump's a uh, good guy. <laughs> uh, well, I, I, I hope that Donald Trump will yeah. not be around when my, I mean, um, she's son, but yeah. yeah, I mean, he might, my dad was a Republican and I rebelled against him though. Also uh, he was ready to vote for Bernie Sanders before Hillary sque- uh, squeezed him out in 2016. Yeah. And I think there were a lot of people like that, but um, you know, it was really interesting because uh, so there's a couple of other things that I do. Um, I also do uh, political debates on YouTube. Oh, okay. like, usually against some very far right people. Um, yeah. And I, I just had a debate with um, a guy by the name of. I like, I like him personally, but nobody looked that up. Like, yeah, in fact, I probably, in fact, why don't you bleep me? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll be um, yeah. But anyway, like during the debate, um, he said a number of wild things, but one of them was, he was like, you know, the thing that w- that should happen is the father should get the children in the divorce and the, so that the father can make them into the right kind of person. And I, at the time I just like, I'm a big fan of Khalil Gibran, you know, and he's got this poem on children. Uh, are you familiar with the no. prophet and a phenomenal, just incredible poet. Uh, I lived in like, I think the thirties. Um, I was given a copy of it. Uh, 2016-ish and just really like absorbed everything. Um, but like his poem on children uh, is like the the whole book is set up in such a way that the it's like a prophet, kind of a Christ-like figure is leaving the city and all the people from the city come out to ask him questions. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he, it's sort of a sermon on the Mount kind of thing, but okay, there's also sure. the implication that he's dying. Yeah. Um, so we have here on children, Uh, And a woman who held a babe against her bosom said, speak to us of children. Your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, yet they belong not to you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts, for they have their own thoughts. You may house their bodies, but not their souls, for their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow, which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. You may strive to be like them, but seek not to make them like you for life goes not backwards nor tarries with yesterday. You are the bows from which your children as living arrows are sent forth. The archer sees the mark upon the path of the infinite and bends you with his might. Let uh, that his arrows may go swift and, and far. Let your bending in the archer's hand be for gladness for even as he loves the arrow that flies. So he loves the bow that is stable. Ah. I mean, you know, uh, I'm not a poetry person, but I really, really like that because it's very much kind of how I have, like, I don't think of them as my kids. I think of mm-hmm. them as I'm, I'm like their guide, I suppose. Yeah. You know, you, it's stewardship rather than ownership. Yes. For sure. And like, I'm here to be like, hey, man, I think, you know, you might want to reconsider that. I'm like, nope, I'm doing it. I'm like, all right, man, I'm here when you fuck up. But, you know, and um, yeah, it's I 
and even when they're real little, like I really wanted them to have agency on their life, you know, Mm -hmm. like I I don't want to dictate what they should be doing or they should be thinking. And, you know, I I express my opinion and, and, and explain to them the opinion of other people. And I'm a weekend dad. So Mm -hmm. by all means take that and with a grain of salt, but you know, they've turned out to be way better people than I am. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the dream. That's the dream of every parent that your children are better than you. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, I mean, so I, I've, I've been doing snow white zombie for a while. um, And the plot, you know, is, deals with Kung Fu and zombie. It's like, it's like Kung Fu, like seventies Kung Fu uh, and zombie fairy tales mashed up with like dark fantasy uh, and with a side of, um, uh, you know, blood, sex and gender politics. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I'm about halfway through the, the the original play now. Um, I'm switching to a new artist, uh, which isn't kit by the way, her, our secret project is not has yet to be announced. Oh, okay. Uh, Yes, though she is doing um, a short series for this graphic novel that I'm. I was going to say now. she was in the video, or you yeah. mentioned her in the video, so she. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, her and uh, Ralph Singh, who works for Scout Comics, both of them are going to be doing a uh, like a ten ten pages each, six to ten pages each, um, within the Swaza universe, which I'm really excited about. Um, our other project will be announced hopefully very soon. Uh, I'm just getting it colored, um, but. Uh, the, the so I'm working on that. Um, I've also released. Um, I, sh- I talked about it earlier. Darudi's Shadow of the People. Mm-hmm. Um, this is uh, a very different from Snow White Zombie Apocalypse. Uh, this is the life and death of uh, Buenaventura Darudi, uh, who was a Spanish anarchist who started out kind of as a bandit and Robin Hood figure, cut a swath of revolutionary activity across five countries and two continents. Uh, and then uh, returned to Spain um, when the Spanish military went fascist, took up the defense of Barcelona and defeated the military, hmm. uh, collectivized the entire city, um, and then took an army of somewhere between six and 10,000 anarchists um, uh, to fight Franco in Madrid. And he uh, won his first battle and then was tragically killed uh, under mysterious circumstances. So he's one of my personal heroes um, and I'm really, really excited to see where the series is going. Uh, And I'm working with uh, both, you know, the artists and editors that I'm working with, but also um, a Spanish film company called Enon films. And we're going to be doing uh, a full length version of Darudi's story from the screenplay that I wrote, which is going to be in the comics um, as well as a uh, original sort of prequel called Wanderer's Feast, which takes place in Tempico, Mexico in 1925, I believe, and uh, features, a, again, like a real life story that has been embellished, uh, you know, to, to fit with, you know, a modern audience and like the things that people expect to see on uh, on film. So, like, all in all, I'm working on that. Um, another thing people might know me from uh, is uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb here. Have you heard of a band called the Crew Shadows? No. Oh, okay. I thought you might have, but that's all right if you haven't. Okay. Um, I haven't. So the, but I love finding new. I I make notes all the time of like stuff I should be mm-hmm. listening to. Okay, so if you're into like you know geeks, get definitely Crew Shadows. So um, okay. C R U X Shadows. Oh, okay. C R U. X, yeah, X. and there's an umlaut over the U. <laughs> oh Jesus! Thanks for helping out the, the dyslexic kid with making it weird. Okay. Yeah, um, and uh, so like uh, Crew Shadows, if you've never heard them before and you haven't, the best way I can describe them is uh, imagine Lady Gaga, but okay. Lady Gaga's a guy fronting okay. a mostly girl goth band singing about angels in Greek mythology. Okay, <laughs> yeah, weirdly that made me jump to Iron Maiden. Yeah. In a way that, yeah, I can see that. Because Iron Man um, had very, like, epic story-based songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, and absolutely. And, and Crew Shadows definitely does. Their their biggest hit is a song called Sophia, uh, which was the number one dance hit in the world in 2005. Oh, um, wow, okay. The, the reason I thought you might know about them is uh, they are very popular at Dragon Con, uh, okay. which is the, you know, the biggest fantasy sci-fi convention in the world. Oh, sure. Um, I, I'm very much, uh, <laughs> in the past, I was... You know, I, I would hit, I don't know, 30 cons a year mm-hmm. and now I'm down to about none. Um, yeah, well, COVID. <laughs> my life is, well, no, but even before COVID, my life is just taking weird paths. And, that, you know, it, it's, it's, yeah. 
part of my life that I'm like, oh, I should get back to more. It's just, I'm so busy, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It seems to, we seem to have less and less time as we get older. Um, but yeah, so me and the lead singer, uh, Rogue, um, uh, he's now, he's actually my writing partner. Um, okay. And for the last four years, we have been reading our fantasy novel, uh, which is called After All. Um, we've been reading like one chapter uh, as like an official event at Dragon Con each year. Uh, not last year because of COVID, probably right. not this year for the same reason. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, the series. It, this I'm really excited about the series. Um, it begins uh, when the main character dies um, and uh, sort of follows her. And she her name's Reddy. Uh, as a nickname and she wakes up uh you know realizing that she's dead mm-hmm. everything uh that she believed about the afterlife is true but also everything everyone else believes about the afterlife is true and it's all true in the same time in the same place um so she has to kind of navigate this uh sprawling fantasy uh uh landscape um we're pulling a lot from uh the wizard of oz actually um and she keeps like meeting her friends in life but they're not her friends hang on are you saying the wizard of oz oz Mm -hmm. is the afterlife um it's kind of what i'm doing it's more like we patterned the story after oh like yeah so (laughs) so like yeah so for instance like um you know one of her friends uh you know his name is sam she meets him again as the historical knight roland tin man um she meets uh, okay yeah that, finds, that, that that whole like i never never thought yeah. of it but like girl caught in a tornado has a near-death experience mm-hmm. all the people yeah. that were there are there never <laughs> really that that has never crossed my mind before and that's a really interesting way to look into that yeah we could we i'm sure there's probably some fan theory out there that uh dorothy is secretly dead <laughs> or dying. <laughs> yeah um but yeah, so like, you know, um, she meets uh, her friend Ethan, who is Odin, the all father, like uh, she encounters him hanging from a tree with freaking ravens on him, scarecrow, um, you know. And so like uh, the, the story is kind of the biggest thing that I've sort of ever done, uh, both yeah. because, you know, I'm, I'm collaborating with an actual rock star um, who's one of the most brilliant people I've ever encountered. Um, and also just because like there is a chance to do so much with a novel um, that you really can't do in a play, a screenplay, or even a comic book. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think out of all of the writing types, in my opinion, I actually think comic writing is the hardest. Really? Um, oh, yeah. Theater, you can you can have a, 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 if you are mildly creative and good at writing dialogue, you can have a career as a playwright. Like, yeah. absolutely. Because like they'll even in college, like when you're writing a play, uh, like I started out like spelling out how I wanted everything to go and how the set should look. And like my professors were like, look, no, just write the dialogue, write whatever actions you absolutely have to write, but nothing else. And let the actors and the director do that, the rest of that for you. So I'm like, okay. So then um, I tended to give people a little bit more as a playwright, but I always gave them the freedom to do what they wanted. Um, then when I started doing uh, screenwriting, the, the the task of a screenwriter begins to, becomes basically um, you have to be the uh, both the you have to write the dialogue and the action, but you also have to kind of be the director, but you can't write it in such a way that the director thinks you're trying to be a director. So you have to like uh, basically um, write the script in such a way that hints at um you know heavily visual things um that will then that the director can then read the script and go aha i know exactly what this is going to be because you've put it in there but you know you can't be uh yeah there's the that's a secret if any directors want to want me to not do it with them i totally won't do it with you yes i will (laughs) (laughs) no it's just Uh, interesting because uh, in COVID, I started writing a screenplay because I, I always have story ideas. I'm a creative person. Like, my brain always mm-hmm. works. And um, so I am dyslexic. Uh, English mm-hmm. is my worst subject. So I'm trying to get the story out. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying it to is- run with no legs, really. Is yeah. what's going on. <laughs> and um, so it's been, like, really interesting. That's a really... So the hardest things that I'm finding is writing dialogue for female, but that's a really interesting thing. Cause I'm kind of at a point where it needs a montage mm-hmm. and I'm like, I don't even really know where to begin. Like, do you just be mm-hmm. like montage that does 
blah 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 <laughs> and let I mean, the other person kind of like piece that shit together no no that used to be that yeah. like and like if you're like george lucas uh when he was writing the prequels he even talks about it like when he gets to the lightsaber battles he's just like they fight um, <laughs> but well, and, that, that famous peter jackson moment they mm-hmm. they cross a bridge and run down some stairs yeah and it's like 45 <laughs> minutes in the movie yep <laughs> Oh, geez. Um, and so like, uh, yeah, I mean, like, so if you were writing a montage right now, mm-hmm. um, what you want to do is spell out the montage image by image, but don't like give it enough that a director feels that they're bringing their creativity to it. You also don't want to do too much because you got to think usually when uh, you were first submitting a script, the director's not the one reading it. The producer's right. not the one reading it. It's like a board, uh, you, you know, like their their first the first gatekeeper you have to get past is pretty much a board film student that doesn't want to yeah. be doing this. I, I had a friend that did that films. shit. Yeah, and, he, yeah. and he's like, he. So I remember a friend of mine was like, "Oh, I, I used to read scripts as as an internship," and I'm and I'm like, "Oh, that sounds terrible." He goes, "Yeah, it was really bad," <laughs> and he recommended two movies the entire time. Mm-hmm. And he recommended movies so infrequently that every time we recommend a movie, they'd bring him in the office and be like, why did you recommend this? And he's <laughs> like, one was really good. And he's like, the other one I looked at and was like, I mean, this is the kind of thing that you guys would make and make money on. Yeah. And I'm like, did it become a movie? He goes, no. I'm like, did anyone become a movie? He goes, yep. And I'm like, the ones you recommend? He goes, nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. So like, you know, there's there's like weird tricks of the trade. Um, it, it, if you ever, if you actually are interested, I would actually recommend you check out um, writeyourscreenplay.com. That's the Jacob Kruger studio. Uh, yeah. They do a lot of stuff via, um, uh, you know, um, streaming and the, and the web now. Um, and they get like real professionals to come in and work with you. I mean, like um, I'm, I'm literally uh, one of my mentor, one of my mentors in comics now is like Ron Martz of yeah. uh, Green Lantern. Like I'm, I'm in his comic class through jacob kruger studios oh, nice. so, um, i mean sometimes yeah. i think i'm just trying to get an idea out of my head so i don't have to, i can stop thinking about it mm-hmm. yeah, and do um it. <laughs> I, I say that all like i'll be out with friends and i'll make a joke and i'll be like i know it's a shit joke but i just it was like running in yeah. a loop and now that i said it it's gone i can like move mm-hmm. on you discharged it yeah exactly so it's um yeah it's by the way it's interesting that you say you're dyslexic because uh, I actually am a little dyslexic, though not in the typical way that people usually are, from what I understand. So I say I'm dyslexic. Initially, it started mm-hmm. off a little jokey. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm terrible at spelling. Reading is not my strong point. And mm-hmm. so my friends would give me shit. I'd be like, oh, I think I have an undiagnosed learning disorder. And I'm just like laugh it off. And then I started dating this girl who was a school teacher Mm -hmm. and uh, she went to a friend of hers that was like the special ed teacher or whatever. And she's like, now what do you, you know, what, if someone's an adult who's dyslexic, what can they do to help? Mm -hmm. And her friend goes, oh, they should do word searches. Word searches really help dyslexic people. I'm like, they used to take me out of class to do word searches of my (laughs) spelling words. And I'm like, holy shit. No one told me. No one told me. Now I'm like convinced that they diagnosed me and just no one told me that I was dyslexic because it was like yeah, they, the early 80s and they, you know, there was mm-hmm. it was, you know, a pox, yeah. a pox upon us. You have dyslexia. Um, yeah. So I'm pretty convinced I have it, although I mean, mm-hmm. I'm like, you haven't heard it from a doctor. Yeah. I mean, I seven I, man like I have coped. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I have um, ADD um, without the hyperactive component of it, but with like the hyper focus and the, yeah. you know, um, I, I saw a meme. It was like people were like, um, you know, ADD isn't like that. Da, 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 da. Oh, squirrel. It's like, um, da, 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 da. oh, hey, that's a squirrel. You know what? I, I think I want to know more about squirrels. Oh, my God. Why is it three hours later? And I've looked up squirrels and everything about squirrels on Wikipedia. And I haven't done anything else. <laughs> you know, um, it's a weird thing. Like, I, I know so many people like, oh, my ADD kicked in. And another girl I dated was legit ADD mm-hmm. to the point where, like, we'd be having a conversation. And it's almost like a memento moment where, like, yeah she'd go blank and then like walk away and be like, are we done? And she'd be like, what? I'm like, I asked you a question. I'm like, Oh, I didn't answer you. 
And I'm like, no, yeah. man, <laughs> you <laughs> no, just stopped talking and walked away. So it's like people who yeah. legit ADD, it's rough, man. Like it, it's. It is, though. Yeah. Also, uh, you know, it's not really a disorder so much as it's an inherited genetic condition. Like people who had ADD, like, yeah. were very useful to humans in earlier civilizations. You're the people that got bored and wandered out and found a new field, discovered new resources. Um, but now, you know, they want us all, you know, sitting down, working as like clerks and doing their uh, their paperwork and everything. And you know that just, that doesn't work for our brains. So I'm I was forced to become an artist. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Yeah. And then the, the uh, dyslexia thing. So I don't have dyslexia in the classical sense. Like I don't, I had a, a really difficult time learning to read, but once I did just boom. Um, and my language skills have always been off the charts. Um, I think I was writing at a, at the level of a college uh, senior about to graduate in the fifth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, what I will do is my brain will reverse concepts so oh, um that's interesting yeah. so like the the most obvious one that i've always had is i cannot do when i mean audition i say rehearsal and when i mean rehearsal i say audition um, oh. i will yeah i will reverse my hundreds and my thousands which drives my wife and my uh previous Accountant? employers crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So i'll go up and i'll be like oh my god you know the, our kickstarter is up to twelve hundred dollars and like my wife's at twelve hundred and i'm like oh twelve thousand i'm sorry yeah so i don't know i kind of think it's a there's definitely like coping things that we have to do but i also think a lot of these limitations tend to uh be mixed like blessings in disguise Mm -hmm. Uh, oh for sure yeah yeah. like the only way anybody gets better is by you know meeting with an obstacle refusing to be defeated and uh uh, overcoming it usually uh, or finding a way to move around it so like, you know, the very fact that, you know, I had such a hard time in college really made it so that I could hit the ground running in the um, real world. Um, And, you know, there's people, uh, you know, who were in my department that were given everything and, um, you know, they're, they're not doing anything because, you know, the interesting thing is like dyslexia never stopped me from learning anything. Mm-hmm. Like I learn in different ways. Like I, yeah. I'm a visual learner. If so, uh, audio, like I'll listen. I don't, if mm-hmm. I take notes, I never read them. Um, the reason why I did shitty in school is, uh, you know, I remember English um, senior year the teacher said, uh, we're having a test. You have to memorize the to be or to, to be or not to be soliloquy. Mm-hmm. And he goes, there's no reason. It's just something we make the seniors do. And I went, well, I'm not doing it. <laughs> like, why would I waste the brain power on doing that? That makes no sense. And I bombed the it's test, like, but yeah. I still passed. Who cares? Like, I was like, I don't, you know, people were like in lunch, like reading it to each other and trying to read. And I'm like, why are you wasting your time? They yeah. told you there's no purpose to it. And it, I, I'm very much like, I want to learn what I want to learn. Mm hmm. And if in a school setting, you learn what's in the curriculum. Yeah, what what, what they kind of force you to do. Well, also schools are usually set up to like, you know, there's different learning styles. I'm very much a kinesthetic learner. You can show me how to do something a million times. You can tell me how to do something a million times. It It will not penetrate this. The only way I learn anything is I have to literally sit down and do it. Yeah. Um, and then once it, you know, once I, I physicalize it, that's when um, like things really start to click. Um, yeah. It's also just kind of weird. Like, in, like, okay. So have you heard of um, the Monty Hall problem? Of course. I love the Monty yeah. Hall problem. That is a great, you don't understand statistics kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah I, I'm always saying humans don't understand statistics and the Monty Hall problem is the perfect example. Yeah, exactly. Because people have a hard time. Uh, so for listeners who are not familiar with this, uh, it's based on like the, the show, Let's Make a Deal. Yep. And they, uh, so they, they have three doors. Behind one door is a new car. Behind the other two doors is a goat. Yep. And um, they sit, and then Monty, you they pick, pick, a, pick door. a door. Yep. Yeah. And then, then Monty, you pick the door, they open an, one of the doors to show a goat. 
Yeah. And then they, they, everybody was saying, so what do you do? Do you, you can, do you change your door? Uh, does that change anything? And, um, you know, this, all these like math professors were going back and forth about it. And the smartest woman in the country at the time, Marilyn Vos Savant has like an IQ in the 200 range, apparently, um, you know, she's just like, no, no, you, you switch it. You have uh, two thirds, the, the chance to, you have a 66% chance mm-hmm. of being right if you change. And like all these math professors like wrote her and were like, you're so stupid. You need to go back to school and learn like basic stuff. And she's like, no, here it is. And like wrote it out as an equation. And the funny thing was, was that like the professors looked at it and they're like, okay, I know that's right, but I can't. I, I right. Can't it doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it, and I love how. I love when science is counterintuitive to the point mm-hmm. where it breaks your brain. So because mm-hmm. I go down uh, YouTube rabbit holes frequently. I watched a video about um, it said, why do we keep needing new G's? I believe was the, the <laughs> title. And in my brain, I'm like, well, because the faster you go, the more gravity you're experiencing. No, no, no. They were talking about cell phones. Uh, um, and they really broke down how cell phones work. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I found most interesting is, and we've all experienced this when you're traveling, if you're on the highway and you're on the phone, you shouldn't be, whatever. Mm-hmm. And your call drops because you lost signal. Your brain goes, oh, I went through a dead area with no signal. Mm-hmm. Unless you're in rural America where there is no one, if you're mm-hmm. living in a populated area, it's more likely you had too much signal. What really? Yeah. Huh. And that like the you were kind of in an area where the cell towers were competing signals and your phone got and confused it, and dropped it. Oh. Uh, and I'm like, that's crazy. That's so counterintuitive. But <laughs> I love that kind of like you would never understand that mm-hmm. unless you're an engineer. So. Well, yeah. Well, like the, the thing is, like the reason I brought up Monty Hall is this relates back to my weird version of dyslexia, whatever the hell it is. Yeah. Um, so when I first was t- told about the Monty Hall problem, mm-hmm. uh, it was like, you know, early middle school, I think sixth grade. And I was and I didn't know the answer. And then they told us the answer. I was like, oh, yeah. OK. And I was just I literally like for most of my life thought about that. Like, oh, that's just a baby question that yeah. like kids. tell. And then I found out it stumps all these high level math professors. Um, and what I realized was, was the reason I was figuring it out was because my brain reversed the concepts. So for oh, instance, yeah, okay. everyone thinks of the three doors as a positive thing. So you yeah. have a one third chance to be right when you pick a door. But if you reverse that, you have a two thirds chance to be wrong. Right. So when they eliminate uh, a wrong choice, your your statistics go up because you most likely have picked the wrong door. Um, and like, you know, I, I talked to my wife who's incredibly smart, you know, but doesn't have uh, the particular uh, quirks uh, that my brain has. And she's like, OK, I, I understand that. I believe you. I, I don't know. <laughs> I can't get it. <laughs> it's one of the um, it's, it, I love the Monty Hall, Hall problem because when it is explained and spelled out, I'm like, I understand it 100 percent. Mm-hmm. And then three days go by and I'm like, okay, I need to go back and watch that again. Cause I don't remember how, like, it's really complicated. Yeah. Human brains just, we, we, they were, they were not made to deal with uh, complex sums. I mean, you could no. can think of computers as partially a coping mechanism, you know, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, yeah. So overall I'm doing, um, it was really great uh, getting a chance to work with Kit, by the way. Um, oh, she was so sweet. Mm-hmm. I really talented. The show. Yeah. Yeah, she. This is actually this is the cover she did for me, Ooh. the very first one. Yeah, this nice. is uh, her doing the big bad wolf, which is yeah. uh, this is there are two big bad wolves that are zombie werewolves, basically. Uh, the first one being the granny wolf, uh, mm-hmm. and then the second one being the big bad alpha wolf, which is the one from the Three Little Pigs. Um, oh, okay, all right, yeah. And uh, it's not the primary. The, so the big bad wolf is basically like Darth Vader to the main villain, who is still yet to be revealed, uh, Palpatine. <laughs> Okay. Um, and like uh, there, uh, so she did that. I, I actually, the reason I reached out to her was um, I was packing. Like I, I'd been aware of critical role for a while. Uh, mm-hmm. Somebody had told me to really check out like the Briarwood arc, um, which yep. they're doing on the TV series right now, which I'm glad they jumped straight to that. Cause that's one of the best things about the first campaign. Um, and like, so I, I was just sitting there packing like 600 comics 
And so I was just like, I listened to all of my regular podcasts, gone through yeah. all of them. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to watch Critical Role, like old back <laughs> episodes of Critical Role. And so I started at the beginning of the first season and I went like through almost the whole thing while I was fulfilling these various Kickstarters. And I kept, I, I saw Kit play and she was mm-hmm. really sweet, really smart and everything. And then I saw like uh, her designs. Um, and so I was just like, I kind of had it. And I was like, you know, I'm always looking for an artist to do like variant covers for me. And I was like, you know, I'll I'll just give it a shot. She probably won't even respond, but I'll I'll reach out. And she like got back to me very quickly. was really, was yeah. And um, you know, we've been collaborating since then. She's uh, I, and I got to tell you, I really wish I could tell you what we're working on um, and show it to you. Cause like, uh, she got me the character designs back and like the first 10 pages. Um, and well, there's I, always off the air. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, well, I may, I, I'll, I'll tell you what, I may mention right. it after right. we get off the air. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, since then I've kind of, you know, uh, I've, I've changed my focus from theater, mm-hmm. uh, and immediately from film, like I'm still doing stuff with film, but uh, it changed my focus from theater to um, uh, comic books because it is so much easier to get someone to buy a comic book than to come to your play. <laughs> sure. Yeah, 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 for sure. And so in a weird way, again, like, you know, opposition makes us better. Um, the fact that I had to spend 10 years in Manhattan bugging the crap out of anyone and everyone to get them to come out to see North to Maine, um, you know, and doing all of the publicity myself once, you know, Snow White Zombie came out, um, you know, I was able to hustle and continue to get it regularly funded on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, you know, uh, we were able to get nominated for uh, two Ringo Awards, which was nice. really, really exciting. Yeah, it was best uh, inking for Hyando Park um, yep. and best production and design for the, the whole team overall. Um, and uh, yeah, that was that was really exciting. Um, and uh, it, that's kind of been a fun distinction for the book um, since we, we came out. Um, uh, other champions of the book have been, you know, Ron Martz really loves it. He's writing the foreword for the book. Uh, David Pepos, who um, writes uh, a number of things, uh, Spencer and Locke, if you're familiar, his no. Sin City meets Calvin and Hobbes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it will kill your childhood. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's Calvin as a hard-boiled grown-up detective. Like, I mean, it's not Calvin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and his um, like uh, you know hallucinatory uh, panther friend um, Locke, or maybe I had that backwards. Maybe he's Spencer, and the other one's Locke. Um, he's also written a, a really great series called the OZ um, for uh, you know. Wizard of Oz, but yeah. mashed up with Hurt Locker. Um, and he, he hmm. just won uh, a Ringo Award for that, which is oh, really exciting. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's it's been really great. I, I continue to work with Scout Comics. Uh, they're a terrific publisher. Um, I, I've had some other people reach out to me about Derudi as well. I may go with Scout. I may go with somebody else. Um, really just depends on how things shake out. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, at this point, sort of like the way things are going to go with my Kickstarters, um, I'm going to be launching, uh, so I've got my volume one after the volume one is funded. Well, it is funded now, but mm-hmm. like after that's shipped out, I'm going to be working to launch the Kickstarter for Swaza five and six with my new artist who I'm really, really excited about. I- I'll tell you that off. Uh, okay. Who sure. <laughs> um, and um, then also uh, I've got, the Derudi shadow of the people series, the second issue um, I'm looking for a new artist for that. So uh, that should hopefully be coming out really soon. And um, uh, then this project with kit, as well as Spanish versions of snow white zombie apocalypse and uh, uh, Derudi shadow of the people uh, are being done. So like overall, I'm, I'm really, really excited as to where everything is going. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's uh, I've had some really great, you know, meetings uh, in Spain. Um, I, I guess I can announce this officially. So oh, okay. you may, yeah, you may not know, um, you, may, you may not be familiar with this because uh, not a lot of Americans are, but um, Derudi uh, was associated with the Spanish labor union, the CNT Phi, um, the Confederation Nacional de Trabajo. Um, uh, Phi is uh, feder- Federation um, 
Federation Iberia Anarchista, uh, the Iberian Anarchist Federation. Mm-hmm. Um, so Drury's kind of like their big hero. Um, and we reached out to the CNT and they put us in touch with the FAL, which is their publishing arm. And uh, so they are going to be printing and distributing the Spanish language version of Derudi in Europe. And especially oh, that's cool. in Spain. Yeah. So it, it's really cool to just sort of come, you know, I, I love how far certain things have come in the last year, mm-hmm. um, a, a year and a half or so. Um you know, COVID has been so hard for everybody, but, uh, you know, I did my best to make sure that like, I, I spent that time <laughs> in the most productive way I possibly yeah, could. For sure. Um, I feel like we, you have to come back on again because I feel like there's so much that we yeah. just barely touched on. Um, Dude, I'd love to, <laughs> but where can our listeners go to find out? Well, where's your Kickstarter? What's your socials, mm-hmm. all that. You know, yeah, absolutely. Plug, that, plug my the crap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So if you guys want to find me, just Google my name, Brenton Lengel, B-R-E-N-T-O-N-L-E-N-G-E-L. I'm literally the only one in the world. Um, and which means I have to be careful, by the way, because I can't blame something I do <laughs> on some other Brent Lengel. Um, uh, you can also, my website is www.brentonlengel.com. Uh, I am on Kickstarter, uh, both as Brenton Lengel, and then my comic publishing company is on there as Autonomous Collective. Um, if you're looking to get a copy of Daruti, uh, you can search D-U-R-R-U-T-I on Kickstarter. Um, that is still, there's still a backer kit where people can order it. And if you're getting the um, Swaza Volume 1, you can also order Daruti Issue 1 as an add-on. Um, also, by the way, just I'm showing these off because they're cool magic coins. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. These I put a ton of uh focus into them. This is uh Prince Charming's uh father, the eponymous blood covered king. And yes. uh, what I love about it is a peasant found it and got pissed off and like chiseled a skull into his face. <laughs> oh, cool. Um, yeah, I know the coins. It's hard to see with the green, yeah, yeah with the green yeah. screen. No, it's magic. <laughs> That's magic, right? Sorry, yeah. sorry. Um, but I, I put as much like depth into like everything I put out for Swaza as I do into the book itself, like. The back of this has like a freaking Latin phrase. Uh, it's the real life Valar Morghulis. We've got the the seal of the kingdom, uh, which uh, features uh, some really deep fairy tale cuts. Um, and uh, yeah, you can search me on YouTube, Brenton Lengel. Uh, I do philosophy, art, and uh, occasionally debates against uh, very online weirdos. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, uh, you know, you can occasionally find me in comic shops uh, when uh, Scout Comics uh, is publishing. They, they will be publi- republishing the first issue of Swaza um, yeah. probably in September of this year. Um, and they'll do the rest of the issues. And then they're going to, we will probably also be doing like a store wide release of uh, Snow White Zombie Volume One and beyond. Um, awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's where you guys can find me. Uh, please like reach out to me. Uh, I'm most active on Twitter and Facebook. Um, and uh, I promise uh, not to be too argumentative. <laughs> <laughs> well, you weren't at all today. Yeah. Well, um, I, 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 I try. It helps yeah. when you see someone's face. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the reason I, I have gotten to like semi-professionally doing debates is I started out as like a reply guy on Facebook and sort of ascended. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well man i appreciate it this is a lot of fun um best of luck on, on the kickstart hopefully everyone goes out and backs you on that and um i don't really have a real official like i was thinking about this the other day i'm like i don't have like a real good official sign off so i mean mm-hmm. go hike the appalachian trail or take a walk <laughs> or something that's that's gonna be my recommendation for this time that is my recommendation as well yeah and uh, we'll catch you listeners again next week And thanks for checking out the show today, listeners. Uh, If you enjoyed the content today, you can go over to patreon.com slash inebriart to support the show. You can join over there for just a few dollars a month and help us provide this fun content that you just checked out. You can also email us at inebriart.com with your questions, complaints, and concerns. Or you can find us on all social medias at inebriart or at inebriart6 on Instagram. And also don't forget to check out our other shows, Bar Talk Podcast, Old Colony Cast, Inebriart, and all the other shows on the Inebriart Network, which you can find at inebriart.com. Thanks again for listening.